0: Thank you. Uh, My name is John. I'm the lead pastor, and so glad that all of you guys are here today. Uh, Happy, happy Easter. Uh, Here's what uh, I want to talk about uh, today. Uh, Does Easter matter? Uh, Or really, uh, this might be a better way to say it, Uh, and I don't know if this is a real word or not, Uh, but is Easter, like, yawnable? Is it just kind of like, like... What happens at Easter is, like, we, we, we come together, and, you know, for some of you, maybe this is your first Easter service you've ever been to, but for a lot of us, we've been to, like, quite a few different Easter services, uh, and, you know, we get, you know, a little extra dressed up, and you guys all look great, and uh, or some of you look a little more dressed up than normal, and that's, that's cool. Uh, we... we Rooms are usually a little bit more full on Easter. Uh, going around uh, this morning, thinking about you know the different parking lots and, uh, and and buildings around Albany that will be a little bit more full today than they are on typical Sundays. Uh, and then we come together and we sing these like big songs of you know that like death was arrested and we're free indeed, and that God loves the whole world. Uh, and then folks like me get up on stage uh, and we, like, we'll pr- proclaim these like, huge things about Easter. Uh, we'll say things like this. Like, Easter is the day that changes everything. Yeah, like, Ooh, you know? uh, or, or we'll say things like, Jesus, uh, sorry, Easter is the beginning of the revolution. You know? okay, can, can you feel it in the air? The revolution starting today. It happened 2,000 years ago. It's still here. Uh, or we'll say things like, Easter is the greatest story ever told. And people listen, and, you know, and they're polite, and, you know, maybe if it's a really good service, they kind of, like feel something, you know, in their heart. And then, you know, they go home, and, you know, maybe you eat ham or lamb or, you know, whatever it is that you eat for Easter, and uh, maybe you'll do, like, an Easter egg hunt. And then, like, you kind of get to the end of the day, and it's like, okay, I got school tomorrow, we got break, and what are we going to do with kids, we got work, and we has got all these other things, and it's like, we proclaim this big, huge message, and it's kind of like, okay, like does it really matter? Like, does it really affect the grand things that are going on in in the world? Is it really going on in your life? And so when you think about, like, especially the really big things that we see in the news, the things that we see uh, in the world, Uh, when we think about things like gun violence and, and hunger and broken marriages and war and the mental health crisis and systemic racism and anxiety and depression and burnout and debt, like just somehow like the fact that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago and that we're here today and we're singing about it and talking about it, does that really have an effect somehow on this? Like does it really matter uh, or more specifically for you? Does this matter to you? Like, is somehow, like, reading this message before, the story, another Easter service you've been to, uh, is somehow something we're going to talk about today? Is this going to somehow change the way that you act, the way that you do? Is this going to change your life in any measurable way? Because we talked about the greatest story ever told. Uh, And here's where we want to go with it, is I believe and you can look through history, that the Eastern message did have a profound impact. That for the people for the first couple hundred years of Christianity, it absolutely mattered. It absolutely changed the way they lived, and it changed the worlds in which they lived. And then somehow over the last couple hundred years, 1500 years, it's kind of gotten watered down, and the Eastern message has kind of become like a little bit like truncated, a little bit like too simple, and we've kind of taken away some of the revolutionariness of it. But I believe that it can happen again. Uh, here's what I think uh, has happened uh, for many of us, maybe this isn't for all of us, but for many of us uh, over the last 1500 years or so, is that the Eastern message has uh, become uh, this. there it is, is it has become a belief to be affirmed. It's kind of, it's like, okay, like, did Jesus actually raise from the dead or not? You know, do I I believe in the supernatural? And there's kind of like all kinds of like intellectual like boxes we have to work ourselves through. And some of us have spent a lot of time thinking about that, some not as much time, but that's kind of like, this big like, okay, do I believe or do I not believe? And then if I decide, you know what? Yeah, no, I believe that there was a guy named Jesus. I believe he did rise from the dead. Then it might impact our lives by kind of changing what we do on Sundays every once in a while, as long as there's nothing else going on. Like that's, that's kind of the, it, it, but then as far as the rest of how we work, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, the majority of everything else, it's really not affected by that. And I believe the original idea of what Jesus did when he rose from the dead was so much bigger than that. Uh, I'm going to read you this uh, by uh, a guy named uh, John Orberg, And this is uh, from this uh, little book. On your guys' tables, uh, some of you guys—we've uh, had these out for a while now. This does a great job of describing this kind of big thing that Jesus wanted to do, and so much of what we've been talking about for the last couple months. If you've been with us at Christ Church Albany, and so if, if you get nothing else out of today, uh, one of the things that some of you have brought one of these home, and it's sat there and you haven't read it yet, and that's okay—you know, all love, no shame—but. Uh, I hope that maybe one of your homework assignments out of today is to go home and actually read it. Some of you have not read it yet, and so you can take one of these free copies, or if you miss out, uh, they're like four bucks on Amazon. uh, I think you can uh, handle it. Uh, This does a great job of describing what Christianity was 2,000 years ago that made this amazing revolution and what it can be again. Uh, Here's what it says. Uh, It says, the salvation. Uh, that Jesus came to offer is bigger and grander and more vital than what we have turned it into. It is the hope of the world. It is the reclamation of human life. It is the promise of meaning. It provides the security to live at peace each day, to face the past without guilt, and the future without fear. Is that what you get when you, like, feel what Jesus did This is why we must do nothing less than engage in a radical rethinking of the Christian concept of salvation. We want to make it so much bigger than what we've maybe been presented with. And we want to make it into this thing that it originally was that actually changed the world. This little booklet contrasts two ways of thinking about the term salvation. I'm sure there's more, but this one does at least two. The first revolves around how people can be sure they'll go to heaven when they die. And it usually involves affirming certain beliefs or praying a particular prayer that results in making one a Christian. And maybe that's the version that you were presented with, and that was what Easter was all about. I can affirm this belief, and if I do, it might change my Sunday attendance, and then maybe I'll get to go to heaven when I die. But the other is about experiencing eternal life. And if you've been with us, what we've been saying is this idea of when Jesus talks about eternal life, when Jesus talks about the idea of heaven, he's not talking about a place somewhere, somewhere up in the sky, somewhere, and when you die, you can go there. What Jesus is talking about is that right now, under God's reign and power, you can experience eternal life right now. There's a way in which you can live your life in a completely different, countercultural way that will make you experience a way of being human that is completely different. That is what Jesus calls eternal life. It's less about relocation than about transformation. God wants to actually transform your life. It's less about what God wants to do to you and more about what God wants to do in you. It's not about getting into heaven. It's about heaven getting in to you. I believe this latter version is the correct one. And it's the one that Jesus actually taught. And that's what we want to hear. That's what we want to believe. And I believe that that message has the ability to actually change our life. Uh, Again, if you've been with us uh, for the last couple months, this is what we've been talking about when we get together for these live services on the second and fourth Sundays of every single month, is we've been talking about this idea of discipleship. That what Jesus calls us to is that Jesus wants us to be disciples. That what God calls all of us to be is to be disciples of him. And what we've said, so he wants to be disciples of all nations, and what we've said is that disciple is bigger than the idea of just believing. That there's people who believe in Jesus, believe in some of the things about Jesus, but are not necessarily disciples. Discipleship is bigger than just believing. Uh, That disciple is bigger than just being someone who knows things about Jesus. Uh, There's lots of people who have learned and studied and know lots of things about Jesus, but they are not necessarily disciples. Uh, It's bigger than just someone who's a worshiper. There's people who come regularly to buildings like this, and they sing songs. Uh, They might even be on stage singing songs, and they have something where they want to just give praise to a God that they believe in, but they're not necessarily disciples with how they're living their life. Uh, and it's bigger than just an admirer. Uh, there's a lot of people who like Jesus. I like, the, I like the ideas, I like the teaching, there's some things I really you know, appreciate. But just because you like Jesus does not mean that you're a disciple. Because what a disciple is, what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks is this is that a disciple is someone who looks at the teachings of Jesus, the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus said, here's the way I want you to live, and they look at the way in which Jesus lived his life. The example that he set of here's how I want you to follow me, and then they go and they try to actually obey everything that Jesus commanded them to do. A disciple is someone who knows the teachings of Jesus and is actually trying to apply it to their life. And here's why that's so important, especially on Easter. Because what you see when you look through history is that 2,000 years ago, the first couple hundred years of Christians were not full of a bunch of people who just believed, who just worshiped, who just knew some stuff. They were people who were committed to being disciples. Uh, there's a, a historian uh, named Larry Hurtado, uh, uh, and there's lots of other historians that have kind of looked at similar things in this. Uh, but uh, Larry says there's at least th- there's at least uh, five different distinctives that when you look at how early Christians lived. Their lives that was completely unique from the rest of culture. Uh, and we're gonna go through uh, each of these five pretty quickly. But what I want you to see when we go through these five is that in many ways, as we look at these now in our Western American culture, these are still pretty countercultural. These are still very much not the way that. The American dream says we should live. This is not how many of our bosses. This is not the way that most of our neighbors, this is not a normal way to live. Although most of us would say it's a good way to live. Uh, But back 2,000 years ago, these five things, along with lots of other things that Jesus taught and how people lived, were completely, because we've been so over the last 2,000 years, uh, the Western world has been so shaped by Christian thought, and Jesus thought, that these are at least like, we, we've heard of these, we, we, we aspire to these at some level, depending on uh, some more than others. But back then, these weren't on the radar. These were brand new things that Jesus brought of here's how we're supposed to live. Uh, so here's uh, the five uh, pretty quickly. The first one is that the early church was multiracial and experienced a unity across ethnic boundaries that was startling. You would walk into early Christian gatherings and there would be full of people who had different colors of skin and who spoke different languages and were a part of different social economic groups. And that was, in our world today, uh, it's pretty rare. Most of us live in neighborhoods. Uh, most of our social media feeds, or most of the times when we get together with people, when we invite people over to our house, it's pretty kind of similar folk to us. You know, there might be a little bit more diversity in our world, but for the most part, we kind of hang out with people that are similar economic levels than us, similar political beliefs, similar. And when you have a group that's kind of completely diverse, it can be really awkward sometimes. But especially back 2,000 years ago, to have different cultures, different tribes all together in the same house, eating the same food, doing the same songs and the same prayers, it was startling. So why did they do it? It's because Jesus said that that's the way I want you to live, and they actually did it. Uh, The second one, I was at the early church, was famous for its hospitality to the poor and the suffering. Uh, Uh, Again, in our our world, it's a little bit more common to have generosity and charity or become like aspirations for many people, even though maybe we don't always do it uh, as much as we could. But back then... The idea was like, hey, if you're wealthy, you're wealthy for a reason. You've been blessed. You've been given. And if you're poor, it's probably because you sinned, your parents sinned, it's because you were lazy, it's because there's so some sort of a stigma. And so why would I ever take some of mine and share it with you? But all of a sudden, there was these Christians who came on the scene who not only helped people out, but they shared to such a level, they were generous at such a level, that like we talked about a few weeks ago, they were literally selling the things that they had so that they could have money. More they intentionally lived simply so that they could have more to give to other people, and they became famous for it. But it was incredibly countercultural. Uh, the third, I was at the early church, it was a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, earlier this week, uh, I was uh, standing in line, uh, as stewards. And there was a, a newspaper, and they had the, the, the Kenwood building, the former uh, Don Stewart that just burned down. Uh, it came out this week uh, that they found out that there was arson, so someone intentionally kind of burned it down uh, one way or another. Uh, and so this was in the newspaper. And so these two people, I didn't know them, were talking about it in, in front of me. And they're like, oh, can you believe someone would do that? And the other person said, you know what I hope? I hope whoever burned that down, I hope their house burns down too. Because that's, that's the norm. Is it, if, if, if you did something wrong, something bad should happen to you. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. But all of a sudden, these early Christians came, and they started offering forgiveness. Forgiveness to their enemies, forgiveness to family members, neighbors. This is extraordinary, and they did it. Why? Because that's how Jesus told them to live, and they actually did it. Uh, next one. It was a community that was committed to the sanctity of life and to nonviolence. Uh, in a world where violence was common, in a world where people carried swords, kinda, there was this group of people that became famous for intentionally putting down their swords, intentionally not joining the military. Uh, there was practice in that world where there's certain groups of people that they thought their life just mattered less. Uh, maybe because they were from a different ethnic group, maybe they've become a, a lower kind of caste or culture uh, and sometimes uh, there was a practice then when if you had a baby and you didn't want that baby because either you just couldn't uh, take care of it or because there was some sort of economic restraints or because there was some sort of a disability of that baby, then they would put the babies out in the woods and they would just kind of leave them there and they would let nature kind of do its thing. And Christians became known for going off and finding these little babies and bringing them home and raising them because they just had this commitment that every life mattered. And so we're not going to do violence, we're not going to kill, and we're going to protect every life. And why did they do that? Even though it kept so much economic and hardship, you know, it's so hard to, to care for someone else? It's because Jesus told them to do it. Uh, and then last one, uh, it was a sexual counterculture. Uh, that in, in a world where kind of The norm was that every man would have a a wife that was going to give him kids, and then would have a couple like concubines on the side, and then go off to the temple. There's the idea that we're going to be committed to one person, and that we're going to have a committed relationship, and that we are going to put each other before ourselves, that we're going to have this idea of a mutual submission, and it was completely countercultural. And why did they do that? They did it because that's what Jesus told them to do, and they actually did it. Uh, and like I said, as you look at uh, all five of these, these were extremely countercultural then, but they're still like pretty countercultural now. And as you look at, especially like all five of them together, I mean, there might be kind of the, the, the top two uh, if you uh, lean a little bit more like left then you might be like, oh, yeah, those, like, sound pretty good. Uh, but if you, like, lean a little bit more right, like, oh, those sound like, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of like the, the liberal woke people. That's, like, what they're doing. Uh, or if you, like, lean a little bit more right, then you're like, okay, yeah, th- that's kind of, like, what, what we stand for. Uh, but then if you're, you know, if you're a little bit more left-wing, you're like, oh, that's like people who are trying to, you know, t- t- take away uh, different rights of people. And then kind of nobody uh, likes the third one because no one really likes to forgive people or get along with other people. But there was this group of people 2,000 years ago who actually decided that they were going to live this way. And why why would they live that incredibly countercultural? It was because they decided that they wanted to be disciples. And what they saw as a disciple is someone who looked at the teaching of Jesus, and this is how Jesus told them to live, and they actually tried to obey everything. And it absolutely changed the world. Uh, And with the resurrection then, so what did the resurrection have so much to do with this? Uh, I think that there's at least two things that crystallized with Jesus' message at the resurrection that they had heard before as Jesus was teaching, But after Jesus rose from the dead, they became incredibly clear and propelled them to not just hear these teachings, not just to like these teachings, but to actually put them into practice. Uh, And they're found, so we've been looking at this over and over again uh, for the last couple weeks, uh, therefore go and make disciples, uh, everything I commanded to you. And so this is the verse right before, and this is the verse right after. Uh, So in the verse before, so Jesus came to them, uh, sorry, go back. I said, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's one of those things that Jesus says, one of the many things that Jesus would often claim, that when you just kind of step back a little bit, is a little bit crazy. I mean, who says something like that? Who would make that kind of an audacious claim that I have all authority in heaven and on earth? Uh, and so by the idea of authority, here's what that means. And go to the next one. Uh, it's the idea of power. I have all the power in the world. I do, me. I have all the influence in the world. I have all the expertise in the world. Uh, I am a king, and not just am I a king. I am the king of kings. I, I am a lord. Not only am I a lord, I am the lord of lords. Uh, what Jesus is saying with this is that he feels like he has the authority, the expertise, the power over everything. Uh, and so, for instance, all, authority over all things. If you were to ask, who, is, who has all the authority, who has all the expertise, all the power over philosophy? Who knows the most about that than anyone else in the world? Who knows more about history? Who knows more about human psychology? Who knows more about nuclear physics and parenting and economics and self? Who, who, who's the most... Who has the most authority, the most power, the most expertise of anyone in the world? Jesus would say, oh, that's me. Uh, I'm the one who does. Uh, not only that, Jesus would say all the issues in the world, systemic racism, gun violence, affordable housing, wealth inequality, climate change. I have the answer to everything. I have all the power, power all the expertise, all the authority. I mean, who, who says something like that? Uh, and not only does he say that about things here on earth, but he also says that I have authority on earth, but I also have authority in heaven. And again, heaven isn't somewhere off in a cloud somewhere. Heaven is like there's this way of living right now. So when it comes to those like even bigger issues uh, in in life, uh, Jesus said, "I have authority over all heavenly things." And so when it comes to your purpose, just a like feeling of like I just I matter. Uh, when it comes to having a flourishing life, a blessed life, uh, a saved life, Jesus say, I, you know who knows more about that than anyone else? Oprah, your yoga teacher, Uh, Some other person has written a great book about something. Just that I know more about that. I have more power, more authority on those subjects than anybody else you will ever meet. Uh, And things like we talk about of like love and joy and peace, patience, the way in which you want to all the character traits you want to be true of our world. I know how to actually help you live that way in the heavens right here. I have all the expertise. I have all the power. That's what Jesus claimed. And if there's a part of you that thinks like, ah, that's a, that's a pretty lofty claim. I mean, if you imagine like any, if you imagine me standing up in front of you guys and saying, hey guys, happy Easter. Um, my name is John. Uh, I just want to let you know, I am the most world-renowned expert on every subject that has ever been known. I know more about history. I know more about philosophy. Come on, like that's, that's insane. Who would claim something like that? Even if I claimed that I knew more about a subject that I actually do know something about. If I say, I know more about long distance running than any of you guys. Uh, you might be, maybe, but he's like, do, do you know more about it than anyone in the world? I mean, who would claim something like that? And over and over again, Jesus would make these kind of claims. And for all of Jesus' life, people would step back, and they would raise a question, and they would raise a doubt, and it was like, who are you to make a claim like that? Uh, so a couple of them that we've looked at over the last couple uh, couple weeks. Uh, there's one we talked about a few weeks ago, where Jesus uh, told someone to give all your money away, sell all your possessions. And the person was like, no, I I'm not going to give you all authority over my money. This is my money. This is my life. Like, who are you to tell me how, why would I give you all power and all expertise with something as big as my money? Thanks, but no thanks. You seem like a nice guy, but no. Uh, there's another time where Jesus was with his family, and family, his family was Uh, With his family, he was talking about these kind of crazy big claims that Jesus would often say. These things about, I have all power, I have all authority over all things. And his family, as they heard this, they're like, he's out of his mind. Like, Who does he think he is? Uh, Another time, it happened with the folks that he grew up with in his hometown. And he's preaching these same kind of things in his family, in his hometown. And they took offense at him. Because of course that's what would happen. When someone's making that kind of a big claim, I mean, who are you to say something like that? And then I think especially important at Easter, uh, that as Jesus was being arrested, as he was going through his trial, as he was being crucified, crucified, all of his followers deserted him. Because at that point, none of them believed he had any authority, any power, uh, any expertise in anything. Which is really pretty crazy, Because over and over again, Jesus in his ministry would teach, he would say things like, hey, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I would rise. And so you would think that they would like have some sort of like belief in that, but what you see when you read through is that as Jesus was was being crucified, as he was being killed, there wasn't one follower that was like, well, I mean, he did say he was going to rise again. Because like no, he's being killed, like he, he has no authority to say whether he's going to live again someday. All all this talk about heaven, all this talk was completely deserted until he rose from the dead, and all of a sudden, all of these followers that have followed him with questions and with doubts and like, hey, can we really give you that much authority? started following him with absolute authority. They, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And they said, you know what? I think he actually has all authority in heaven and on earth. I think he actually does, I think he can back up all of these claims that he actually knows the best way to live here on earth and to live in the world of the heavens. And so therefore, I'm going to become his disciple, I'm going to study his teachings, and I'm going to do everything they commanded. Uh, I love this uh, quote by uh, Dallas Willard. It said, it is my faith in him that led me to become his disciple, my confidence in him simply means that I believe that he is right about everything. That all that he is and says shows what life is at its best, what it was intended by God to be. And so question, as we're together celebrating Easter, what would it look like in your life if you gave all authority to Jesus. If you saw Jesus as the authority for everything on earth, if you saw him as right about everything... So whenever you're making a financial decision, when you're making a time decision, how you're going to schedule your calendar, when you're making a relationship decision, when you're making a career decision, you're doing it all through the lens of, I believe that Jesus has the most expertise, power, authority about this than anybody. So therefore, I am going to apply his teaching to it more than any other teaching. What would that change in your life? What would that change about how you spend your money? What would that change about how you spend your time? What would that change how you treat other people that you interact with? Back then, that's what they did, and it changed the world. Uh, So that's the first one, uh, is that they believed all of a sudden that Jesus actually had authority. Uh, Then the second one uh, was this. So they believed that he had all authority, and then the second one is, and surely, sorry, go back one, surely I am with you. Always to the very end of the age is they believed that Jesus was actually with them, as they heard about this idea that Jesus rose from the dead and that he was alive, what they believed is that Jesus was actually alive, that Jesus is actually still alive, and they put these ideas in, in, in practice uh, uh, The idea of practicing the presence of God. You can live in such a way where you can, in every moment of your day, you can actually live with Jesus. You can go about your day with Jesus alongside you. Uh, and as some of you know, it's something we've talked about a lot uh, over the last couple of years. And part of the reason why we've talked about this so much over the last couple of years is because this is something that I've been trying to uniquely focus on in my own life. And it has been absolutely transformative. Uh, so, how it looks in my world is uh, I wake up uh, early in the morning and I go downstairs. Uh, On a good morning, uh, the coffee's already ready because I remember the night before to set the automatic timer, which is clutch. Uh, And then I go and I get my cup of coffee and I sit on uh, my my chair and I'll do what's in your program there listed as a, a daily office. And I'll just carve out some time just to spend some time with God. Uh, lately, I've been doing, uh, for the last uh, about a year and a half now, the app that we recommend, the Lectio 365. And one of the first things that I you to do every morning is just to calm your senses and to picture that God is with you. And the little mind ritual that I go through is I picture a few places in my life where just God felt so real. Uh, a beach that I was at in Guatemala, uh, a city that I was at in Haiti, uh, some places that I've been in my life where God felt so real. And I just try to remind myself that just as real as God was there, God is right now in my living room. And just try to just feel the presence of God in my living room with my cup of coffee. And then I'll get ready after a little while to go on my morning run. Uh, and I've been in this practice uh, where like, as I'm lacing up my shoes, I try to imagine that Jesus is lacing up his shoes as well. And Jesus and I are going to go for a little run together. And we just run through and we have some conversation and we talk and listen and just sort of try to run with Jesus and then do breakfast and drive to work and then go through my day and try to go through things with my kids and go through things with whatever I'm encountering during the day. To remember that in this moment, God is actually alive. Jesus is actually with me. And that has the ability to change everything. Uh, a couple uh, weeks ago, uh, during one of our services, we were talking about different things that we need to work on uh, in our lives. Uh, things that we really feel like that God is calling us to. Uh, or maybe things we need to step away from. But they're they're, they're difficult. They're just so hard, so countercultural. And these are the the forms you guys turned in that day, and no one wrote their names on any of them, so these are completely anonymous. I have no idea who wrote what. Because think about, like, these things that we know we should do. We feel like this would be a better way to live, but it's just so hard to actually do. And so someone wrote uh, the love of money. And I get that. I mean, it's so easy to picture that idea that if I just have more, that will be a better way to live. But if I picture Jesus with me, as I'm trying to look at what I should purchase, how I should live, it it changes it. Uh, Deny yourself, keep up with your Joneses, uh, same kind of idea, Uh, the idea of gossip and, and judging. If I picture that as I'm getting ready to post what I'm gonna post on social media, as I'm getting ready to have whatever break room conversation, If I picture Jesus in the room with me, it just, it changes. And it's not, it changes because, like, I'm picturing him, he's like in the corner, he's like, no, 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 like, you better not say that. It changes because being in the presence of someone who's just so dynamic, just, it changes you. Well, when you're with someone who's just so loving, who's so hopeful, who just sees the best in other people, like, how... How can I talk bad about other people in the presence of somebody like that? When I see someone who just lives their life so generous, it just compels me to be generous too. When someone sees the sanctity of life of every single person, how do I not share those same ideas? Because when you're with Jesus, it just tends to change everything. And 2,000 years ago, as they saw the resurrected Jesus... And as the stories went out, this idea that Jesus actually arose from the dead, what they believed is that Jesus didn't just rise from the dead, that Jesus was actually alive right now, that he was with them, and that they could live their life in his presence, and that that would change them. And especially uh, what that would change was that they would have the ability to actually do the things that Jesus taught. Uh, And so, yeah, they have a question. What would that change in your life? if you believe that Jesus was actually living life with you and that's the invitation that we have on Easter is that you can Easter can matter in your life Easter can absolutely change the way in which you live But the only reason why it would, why it should change anything is if you decided that I think that Jesus actually has authority to tell me how to live my life and actually is the most powerful expert in the world on how to do that, and because I believe that Jesus is actually alive. And if you wanted to make those some sort of a big change in your life because of that, here's a a couple options. Uh, The first is that maybe if you decide you want to give all authority and live like Jesus was there, you could become a disciple. Maybe you've seen yourself as more of a a believer, more of a learner, maybe more of an admirer, and you could decide today that you wanted to become a disciple of Jesus, to actually put his teachings into practice. Uh, Or maybe what you could decide is that you want to get baptized, which is this kind of symbol ceremony where you like, publicly show a group of people that I want to follow Jesus more than I want to follow anybody else in my life. My life is going to be focused on the idea that Jesus is with me and that he is the authority on life. Uh, you could focus on his teachings. Say, I, I, I'm interested in doing the things that Jesus said, but I don't even know most of the things that Jesus said. So you could commit yourself that I want to start learning the things that Jesus said. I want to start spending regular time reading about the things that Jesus said, reading about the way in which Jesus lived his life, coming to things like live services and community groups so I can know what Jesus said, so then I can know what I need to apply. Uh, Or maybe for some of you, uh, it's the obey part. Uh, And maybe it's kind of in general, I want to commit myself to obey the things that Jesus said, but for some of us, it's like, much more kind of tangible there's something that we feel like god has been calling us to do calling us to obey and we just haven't taken that next step and maybe today could be that day uh or lastly uh what you could do is you could focus on that first part of 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 going uh One of the things that was so amazing about those early Christians is that for them, their Christian faith was something that was both incredibly private, it was changing them, and it was very public. They were living it in such a way that other people were like, I got to know about why you are living this countercultural. And when they were living in such a way that people would ask questions, they would actually have something to say. And this is actually what we're going to focus on for the next uh, couple months uh, in our uh, live services and our community groups, is the idea of living in such a way that other people see how we're living and that we are just talking about the way in which Jesus is changing our life because he's given us, we're living in his authority. Uh, We're living in this idea that he is actually with us. And what I think about is what would it look like now that's how the early Christians lived, uh, In the first 300 years, in many ways, it's kind of gotten watered down over the last 1,500 years, 1,800 years. What would it look like if we actually decided that we were going to put, if there was a group of people that were putting these things into practice? Uh, what if uh, those things that were so, so unique about the early Christians and those five things about how they lived, what if that was true of a group of people living in Albany, New York? there was a group of people that were regularly crossing ethnic boundaries, that were regularly serving the poor, that were for, for, uh, forgiving and giving reconciliation and committed to the sanctity of life and nonviolence and this sexual counterculture. What if there's a group of people that were actually living that way? I think it would change everything. Uh, I think that they would look at the reason behind why we were living and they'd be like, you know what, that actually does change everything. Uh, I want to pray for you and I want to give you a, a, a moment. What would it look like for you if today You took the message of Easter seriously and gave Jesus all authority. And if you knew that Jesus was actually with you, what would that change in your life? And what I encourage you to do is to actually do it, actually make a move, tell it to somebody, share it with somebody. And actually let this message change the way in which you live. And it will change everything. And it will be heaven on earth. Uh, Let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being in this room. But God, help us to know that this morning, as we woke up, as we ate breakfast or with our family, whether we were alone, whether we were with people, as we walked here, as we drove here, as we go throughout the rest of today, as we go to work tomorrow, school, you are with us, that you are alive, that your presence is here, and you're not just like a presence that's with us, you are a presence of authority. You know more about me than anybody. You know more about how I should treat my kids and how I should treat my wife You know more about how I should set up my schedule and how I should set up my budget and finances. You know more about the things I need to say yes to and more about the things I need to say no to. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. And you are with me. And you are calling me and calling us to be your disciples. To look at the ways in which you told us to live. And to follow them and to obey them. And you say that it will not only change our life and our world, but it will change everything in the world. Help us to lean in to that big idea of what salvation could be how you want to save me and how you want to save the world now and forever